there and welcome to the One Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at one of our services. If you'd like to know more about life at One Church, visit us online at weareone.church or check us out on social media. Well, it's brilliant to be with you this morning again. And um, we're in a series at the moment called Antioch. And um, the Antioch series is about really it's about the earliest church that there was in the Bible. So, to give you a little context, Jesus has come, he's lived, he's died, he's risen, he's gone to heaven, and now his followers are continuing his message, continuing his ministry, and they're gathered together in homes and places like that, but the people at that time persecuted the Christians quite badly. They persecuted them so much that many of them fled, escaped Jerusalem and to, to nearby areas and towns. And one of those places was a place called Antioch, which is in modern-day Syria, okay, in the north, near Turkey, in that kind of Turkey-Syria area. And um, this, there's this little church begins to, a little bit like ours, begins to grow, begins to see people coming come in and encountering God and talking about Jesus and interest is kind of growing and spreading and they begin to gather together and God starts doing something really cool in this church. And uh, that's the church of Antioch. Now, what's incredible about Antioch is it's the first church outside of Jerusalem that really took off, okay? And uh, let me just tell you a little bit about the history of the church um, before we talk about Antioch, okay? So it was from Antioch that Paul, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas kind of went on their missions trips planting churches. Now, scholars reckon that Paul planted something like between 15 and 20 churches in his lifetime. He was a busy man, okay? And uh, yeah, if, you, you know, if you've been across Turkey or Greece at any point in your life, you'll know they are a big deal there. And uh, you can do coach trips through many of those places where Paul and Barnabas planted churches. And uh, you may have heard of some of them. So they planted in a few quite major cities such as Ephesus and Corinth and Philippi and Thessalonica. Those were some big cities at that time. And Paul and Barnabas planted little churches, a little bit like ours, in those cities. And they grew. And there was interest and people gathered together and Jesus was present with them, and people gave their lives to Jesus, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew. And then, do you know what? They began to plant churches, and they thought, well, we need to go to that town, and to that town, and to that town, because other people need to hear about Jesus. And so they did that, and they kept planting and planting. And within about 100 years, 100 years of Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas planting churches, this is what it looked like in Europe in terms of church plants. So we're going to show you a photo, Hopefully. No, there we go. Okay. It's not as big as I thought it might be when I envisaged this the other day. Um, but here you go. These red spots you can see. Here's Turkey. Here's Syria. Here's Jerusalem. Here's Europe. So within about 100 years of Paul and Barnabas starting, the church was already sort of beginning to have a little bit of a presence in Europe. Within 200 years, let's look at the next one, the second century, it was like that. Okay, spreading a little bit more now, isn't it? I don't know why, but somebody went to France. I'm not really sure why they did that. But anyway, I'm joking. I love France. Okay, but the church, <laughs> the church is 
expanding, okay, and it's growing. By the third century, it looked like this. Ooh, look at that. The church is really expanding. Why? Because people are hearing about Jesus, and then they're taking Jesus to the next town, into the next village, into the next town, and new little churches, a little bit like ours, are kind of being planted and started, and a movement is happening. Now, here's what's incredible. In the fourth century, so around about 400 years after, the very people that were persecuting the Christians when Paul was alive, okay, the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire became Christian within 400 years. Such was the impact of the spread of the church as it grew and grew. And there was a, a, an emperor at the time, his name was Constantine. Has anybody heard of Constantine before? Okay, one or two of you have heard of Constantine. Now the story goes that he, he wasn't religious, he wasn't a Christian at all. He was going about his kind of, um, he was the captain, I think, of the, the, the Roman armies at that time. And he's going about his business in a battle with, I don't know who, maybe it was the French, somebody, and he's in battle, and he's fighting them, and uh, so his testimony, his story is this, that they were in the middle of the battle, and uh, there's just carnage and chaos all around, and he looked up at the sky, and he had a vision, this is what Constantine is written in his, in his story of his life, he says he had a vision at that moment. And the vision was of a cross. And he heard God speak to him in that moment, saying, conquer by this. Conquer by this. I can't remember what the Latin was for it, but those were the words. That's what it meant. And Constantine was like, what does that mean? And he realized that he wasn't to conquer by force and violence and the spread of war but he was to conquer the world through the cross of self-sacrifice, the Christian message. And it transformed Constantine's life, and he gave his life to Jesus. And as such, the Roman Empire became a Christian empire. And the rest is history. So in 400 years, the church rapidly expanded. And where did it begin? Where do we track all of that back to? Antioch. And we're going to go there. In the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 1 to 3, this is where it began. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. This was an incredible moment. I, well, I want you to imagine it. There's a few people gathered together and they're praying now, I don't know what they were praying for, but my guess is, is they were saying, God, what do you want us to do next as a church? What are you doing through us? What, what should we be doing in our city, in our community? What, should, what do you want us to be doing? And they're praying and they're fasting, which means they were going without food for a period of time while they prayed. 
and, and there's this kind of uh, discipline that you find within the Christian faith where sometimes it's so much really, really, really important to you. Like you really want it. You really want to pray for it. You, you fast. You put food down for a period of time to say, God, this that I'm praying for is more important even than my food. Yeah? So that's what fasting is. And they're going, I'm not going to eat dinner today. Instead of eating dinner, I'm going to pray because this means so much to me. I want you to move. I want you to do something. And so this group of people have decided, we so want God to speak to us. We so want his purpose for our church. We so want to know what he's saying to us as a family that we're going to put down food for a little while. And that's what we're going to do instead. We're going to pray. We're going to ask God. We're going to seek him and see if he speaks to us. Just a group of people. They didn't know what the answer would be. They had no idea what would happen as a result of that prayer. They had no idea that in 400 years, the Roman Empire would be Christian. They had no idea that it would result in the spread of the church across modern-day Europe. They had no idea of the reach of this little prayer meeting. No idea. Isn't that incredible? I want to say to you today, church, you have no idea what God has in store for us as a church in the next five years, 10 years, 400 years. You have no idea what God could do through you and me. Ordinary people who all agree together, we want God to do something here. And it was just a prayer meeting. It wasn't a fancy prayer meeting. At that time, they didn't have disco lights. They didn't have big bands. They didn't have auditoriums. This wasn't the Colston Hall or Wembley. This was an ordinary building with ordinary people who, for a moment, put down food and said, God, what do you want to do with us? And God spoke. Now, he spoke through the Holy Spirit. What that means is this, that the Holy Spirit who lives within us when we give our lives to Jesus, his voice became so clear to them in that moment that they knew it was God. You know, this isn't just another thought. This isn't just another idea that I've had. This isn't just, this is, I, I think God's really grabbed hold of me and he's speaking here and I think he's saying this, set Paul and Barnabas apart because there's a job I want them to do. So, right, okay. So they set them apart. They pray for them. They say, right, God wants you to leave this place. Now, they were loving life in Antioch. Paul and Barnabas got to teach. They were doing all the things they loved doing. But God said, no, I want you to leave Antioch, and I want you to go and start planting churches. And so that's what they did. And they released them, and they sent them off. And then the rest is history. So I want you to hear this. The faithful prayer and fasting of the people in Antioch unleashed something world-changing. They didn't know their reach but they weren't, they just prayed and God did it. So there's a faith lesson for us today. With God, your arm is not the limit of your reach. Hold out your arm. Hold it out. That represents your abilities. That represents your talents. That represents your uh, resources. It represents everything you can do as a human being. And that's the limit of your reach. That's the limit of my reach. It's there. And yet God is able to do something that extends your reach. 
that makes you a bit, gives you the ability to reach far beyond what you could imagine. There's a great Bible verse for it. It's going to come up on the screen. It says this, and Paul wrote this to the Ephesian church. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably, say immeasurably, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in christ jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen paul is saying this i think from experience he's writing to the ephesians saying that it's been my experience that god is able to do immeasurably more than i can ask or think i know my limits I know what I can do. I know my reach. But when you involve God, he is able to do immeasurably more. He's able to take my reach and make it reach that wall. He's able to, th to take my reach and take it far beyond. And Paul understood from experience that God takes ordinary people and does miraculous things through ordinary service. Isn't that incredible? Paul knew it from experience, and he was trying to encourage the Ephesians to see the same. Now, all faith really rests on the three words in that verse. Now, to him who is able. Who is able. All faith rests on those three words. You either believe God is able or you don't. Yeah? You either believe God is able to forgive you of all of your mistakes in life, or you don't. Is he able? The Bible says he is. Do you believe it? That's, your, that's up to us. God is able, okay, is the foundation, really, of all faith. Is he able to take a few ordinary people and transform the world? Yes, he is. Is he able to heal our sicknesses? Jesus did it time and time again. So, faith is really, when you boil it down, a belief that God is able to do what he said he'd do. Is there anybody in the room this morning who's got a little bit of faith to believe he's able? He's able. He's able to take you, able to take me, and do things beyond what we can ask, think, or imagine through our lives. He can, and he will. And I want to give you re four really quick, simple things you can do to put yourself in a position where God can ex expand your reach. Do something beyond you. You ready? Really simple, practical things. Number one, pray for others, not only yourself. I know these are real basic, but so often in my prayers, and I do pray, I promise, when I, when I, I, I am a little bit narcissistic, if I'm honest. Anybody else? I'm thinking about me, my problems, my needs, my stuff, my sins, my needs, my money, my and I'm just like, and I'm, I'm praying very passionately about myself. I can pray really passionately about myself. Okay? But what happens when all I do is pray for myself is I'm not going to expand my reach beyond myself. Yeah? When my prayer life, which is very simple, extends beyond myself to my neighbor, to my friend, to my community, suddenly I put myself beyond my abilities and, my, and I step into, I expand my reach into, oh, God's going to do something beyond me now. 
Yeah, does that make sense? I know it's real simple. But if you want to extend your reach, if you want to be a person like the Church of Antioch that expands reach beyond yourself, that does something bigger than you, start praying that way. I don't know who your neighbor is, but maybe pray for them. Me and Danny, our neighbor is a, a lady called Rachel. And Rachel is recently divorced. She has a, a son who's seven. His name's Zebedee, and he is a handful. And we've been just building a little bit of a relationship with her. And my practical takeaway today is pray for Rachel. And when you pray for somebody, maybe God might put a little hunger in them. So pray for others, not only yourself. Believe that your God is the same boundary-breaking God as they had at the church in Antioch. Number two, listen to God and do what he is nudging you to do. Listen to God and do what he's nudging you to do. In Antioch, they were listening to God in that place of prayer, and God says, set apart Paul and Barnabas. It was a simple act. They prayed for them, and they never knew in that moment that they would go on to plant 15 to 20 churches, and in 400 years, the Roman Empire would be Christian. They didn't know that, but what they did is they listened to the nudge of the Holy Spirit, and they acted on it. It was a simple act of faith. And as a Christian, I've kind of, uh, you know, over the years, I've heard every now and then God speaking to me, not like, um, what's the word, vocally, like from the clouds, but into my inner man, into my spirit. I've, I've felt God say, you need to pray for that person. You need to give something to that person. You need to put an arm around that person. I need you just to go and spend a little time with that person. And as I've listened to the Holy Spirit and I've obeyed those little nudges, Believe it or not, many times those people have been like, I really needed that. Thank you. You're the answer to my prayer. I was hoping somebody would say that. I was praying for that to happen. I needed that money, and I prayed for it this week, and now you've just, you put yourself in a place where you're their answer to prayer. So listen to the Holy Spirit. If he's nudging you to do something, it might seem a little bit like, oh, Really? I, I challenge you, I dare you, try it, see what God does. Okay, God, I'm going to do that. And when you do that, you extend your reach beyond yourself. Again, you put yourself in a place where this is beyond you now. I remember once at the back of this very room, sitting with a person who was clearly quite upset, and I just began to pray with them. And I felt the Holy Spirit give me a word for them, and I shared it with them. I said, I think God might be saying this to you. And it was like bullseye. <laughs> exactly what they were going through at that time. Now, that's beyond me. It's not, I'm not like, I'm not God. But God nudged me to say something, and when I said it, it brought confirmation and release to that person. That's what happens when we listen to the Holy Spirit and obey his nudges. Third way, you can extend your reach. Give without expecting a return. Give without expecting a return. Just give for giving's sake. Just be generous because you're generous. And oftentimes, your seed will return to you, but that's not why we do it. We don't do it to get. We do it to give. 
And when you give, you make a difference in someone else's life. You make a difference in someone else's situation when you give of what you have. Now, we never say in church life, we're always talking about giving, but we never say this, you don't give from debt. Don't give and make yourself, put yourself into debt. But take what you have and don't use it all on you. Don't use it all on you. Yeah? Take a little bit of it and say, I'm going to sow a seed into someone else's life. And when you don't use it all on you and you take that little bit and you go, okay, here you go. I'm just going to bless somebody with that this month. I'm gonna, you, you may decide I'm going to set up a little blessings account. And every month when I get paid, I'm just going to put five or 10 or 15 pounds into that account. And, and sometimes there'll be a need and you'll know I need to give to that. And sometimes it may build up over a few months. But then the need might come and you go, I've got something to give. And it's not going to put me in debt. Because I've planned to be generous. I've planned to put myself beyond my reach into someone else's world and bless them. I'll tell you this quick story. There used to be a couple here in this church a number of years ago when I was a young man. I was 19 or 20. And uh, my car broke down. And it was dead. There was no reviving it. It was rubbish anyway. But it was no, it was no bringing it back. And uh, I lived in town at the time, and I needed to get here for work. And I remember praying, God, give me a car. I haven't got any money. I need a car just to, just to arrive, you know. So I was believing God is able, because that's the foundation of faith. God is able to provide all my needs. So I prayed for a car. Two weeks went by, and no car arrived. So I took things into my own hands, and I went to the bank, Nat West, in Redfield, and uh, I said to the bank manager, because that was how it used to work, I'd need a loan. And I took £500 loan. And I went and bought a car. The next Sunday, I walked into this building. And there was a, this dear old couple. They'd been Christians all their lives. And they came to me and they said, Mike, we were praying this week. And we felt God nudge us to give you this. And they handed me an envelope. And I was like, oh, thank you. That's very kind of you. Put it in my pocket got home, opened up the envelope. What do you think was in there? 500 pounds. 500 pounds. They had no idea. No idea. They just obeyed the nudge of the Holy Spirit. They had a blessing account. They were generous people who planned to be generous. They listened to God, and when God said, they did. Now, when I took that envelope from them, they were holding on to it quite tightly. But <laughs> <laughs> and I know you would as well. So number one, pray for others, not only yourself. Number two, listen to God and do what he's nudging you to do. Number three, give without expecting a return. And lastly, number four, serve a vision greater than your own. That's what church is. No one person's dream, no one person's vision is supreme. We do this together. We serve one another. We serve together. And when we do it together, when we serve together, a vision greater than any one person's vision, we believe that God blesses that unity and he pours out his favor on his church. When you're part of a team, when you're part of a church family, and you're giving your time, giving your investment, giving your service, you are putting yourself into a place where you're able to do things beyond your reach. Why? Because we're doing it together. And two is better than one. And three is better than one. And 50 is better than one. 
Imagine what 50 people who believe God is able can do. It's powerful. So, this little church in Antioch had no idea that their simple act of praying and fasting would transform Europe and the world. And I wonder what God might do through us. I believe God is able to do more than we can ask, think, or imagine when we live lives that put ourselves beyond ourselves and beyond the reach of our arm and into what God can do through us. Please never underestimate your contributions. God takes the little that we have and he makes it so much more. Sometimes you might put a fiver in the offering and think, oh, it's not very much, God, but it's all I have. But God takes the fiver and he multiplies it. You may serve on a team in church and think, well, I'm just making a cup of coffee. There's no just about it. Every contribution is significant and matters. And God takes the combination of all of our generosity, all of our service, all of our contribution, all of our prayers, all of our faith, and somehow all of that together combines and it breaks through into the kingdom of God and heaven where anything is possible. It's, it's like an invisible, I don't know, like imagine putting your arm right now from this earth, from this world, through this invisible curtain and reaching into God's heaven, God's possibility, God's kingdom, and all of the possibility and power that exists in God's world. Your arm just seems to go on and on and on. Does that make sense? I know it's really ethereal and weird. But I'm just helping you picture the end of your arm is not the end of your reach because God can take what you have and make it so much more. And that's been my experience. And that was the Apostle Paul's experience. One more thing. God is not out of reach. God responds when you reach towards him. There's a verse in the Bible. Is it on the screen? Acts chapter 27, Ben. Can you see if it's on the screen? I think there's a slide for Acts chapter, Acts chapter 17, verse 27. No? Okay, no worries. I missed that slide. There's a verse in Acts chapter 17 and verse 27 that says this. God is near to us. That means you don't have to reach very far. He's not outside. He's not a million miles away. He's near. And when we reach out to him with a little bit of faith, he draws near to us. And there may be one or two or three or four or five or six people in the room this morning and you're thinking, well, what about me? I don't know God personally. I uh, Jesus has never really been on the center of my mantelpiece. I'm not really sure what to do with God. And all I'd say to you this morning by way of encouragement is this. It all begins with a little reach of faith. It says, God, if you're there, I'm reaching into the unknown. And I want you to draw near to me.